I'm Leah Witt. And I'm Billy Liggett. And this rhymes with orange. Trey Bremer is a native of Leota, Kansas, who came to Campbell University on a basketball scholarship in 2011 after a stellar high school career. Trey's playing days at Campbell were cut short due to several knee surgeries that date back to his senior year of high school. But Trey has found a new home and a new calling at Campbell University, and he's graciously chosen to share his story with us today. Uh, Welcome to our podcast, Trey. It's good to be here. Thank you. All right. Um, so we usually start out by asking how you got to Campbell, but I'm going to stretch out that question just a little bit because uh, you played high school ball in Kansas, and I know I'm speaking to a North Carolina crowd when I say this, but people in Kansas might say that that is the true mecca for college basketball, yet you found yourself in North Carolina. So tell us tell us how you got from Kansas to the East Coast. Yeah, so my ultimate goal in life was to play professional basketball. Um, where I went to college at, as long as it was Division One, being able to get that opportunity to be noticed, uh, to be able to hopefully one day go into the draft uh, and play uh, and live my dream of playing in the NBA. That was my goal. And so Campbell had offered me that opportunity of being on a full scholarship uh, to go and play with my basketball career, uh, to continue with my basketball career there. Okay. We're on a podcast. We're not on TV, so... Uh, you're our tallest guest yet. Can you tell us how tall you are? Yeah. So I am six foot nine inches tall. Wow. That yeah. is a foot and nine inches taller than I am. Mm-hmm. I think you had to duck to get in there. Yep. <laughs> it happens a lot. It's a, it's a habit you grow into. <laughs> how tall were you in that senior year of high school? Did you grow after high school? Um, I walked in to my high school gym as a freshman at six foot five, 320 pounds. And by the end of my senior year, I came out at six foot nine, 245 pounds. Wow. And you got smaller and taller. I did. I did, yeah. Mm-hmm. With a size 18 shoe. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, like I said in, in introducing you, um, injuries, you know, injuries mm-hmm. cut cut your playing day short. Uh, tell us when that began and uh, um, go into all the gory details <laughs> yeah. about uh, how you hurt your knee. Yeah, yeah. So, the beginning of my senior year, right when I was getting to my athletic prime, the second game of my high school career, um, as a senior, is I had we're playing in the game. I had turned around, had the ball in my hand. I came down on my knee wrong. I ended up dislocating my knee, and when the knee came out, it kind of destroyed a lot of cartilage. I uh, ended up having my first knee surgery. The doctor called it a knee reconstruction surgery. Um, and after that, recovery happened. I had planned to go to Campbell already. Um, because the compensation that I was making with my left knee ended up hurting my right knee as well, which led to me having a meniscus surgery. Wow. Yep. And it kept on uh, going on from there, getting worse. Uh, I registered in my first year at Campbell, and I ended up re-injuring it, re-injuring it, whether it was in practice or in games. So uh, I promise this isn't all about the knee, but uh, one more question about it. So you, you hear that an athlete has undergone... Um, several knee surgeries, and then as a fan, you think, "Oh, well, they'll be back next year. They'll be fine." They'll, you know, or the the prognosis is out out six to eight months, but they'll be fine after that. Uh, tell us what it really means to go through knee surgeries like that, and the rehabilitation it takes to get to where you were before that. Um, I would agree with you. I had the same mindset of, you know, this is just a bump in a road. I'm going to recover. I'm going to be. 
100%, if not even better. I know how hard, how hard I've worked in my, in my life to get to where I want to be. This is, this is nothing. Um, but, you know, as you go through those injuries, as you experience them, you start to realize that you, there's a possibility that you can't be the same person that you was. <clears throat> and for me, uh, the recovery process was long. It was very difficult. And it seemed at some points, no matter how hard I worked, I would never be able to be the same player and have the same athletic ability that I once had. It's got to be a, uh, a very humbling feeling. Yes, it was. Yeah. Well, basketball didn't just break your heart at Campbell. It also brought something very special to you, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, it did. It, it brought me my sense of calling and purpose here. Mm-hmm. I will say that. And I hear that you met your wife here. I did. I did. Um, her name is Jewel, and I met her on the women's basketball team. Campbell basketball, bringing people together. <laughs> yep, loving basketball. <laughs> I love that. I, too, well, I met my future spouse, my spouse-to-be at Campbell, so Campbell love stories hold a very special place in my heart. When you reach that point where you can't play basketball and this is the reason you came here, uh, what's going through your mind um, as far as thinking towards your future? Like, yeah. what, what kind of place were you in? Yeah. Um, so I've always had that positive mindset, uh, being as optimistic as I could. When I was first plagued with these injuries and it seemed like they weren't getting better, I still had in the back of my mind, it's going to be okay. We're going to make this work. But at some point I did have to sit back and realize, Trey, what's, what else can you do in this life? Because obviously you might not be able to play professional basketball like you wanted to. Um, I started getting a little nervous getting a little anxious and figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. And do I have time to tell the story? Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about your divine calling. Okay. But you can continue. Yeah, so um, what had happened was um, the end of my sophomore year was coming to a close. And um, I knew after my trainer had told me and the doctor had told me that if I continued to play basketball, that I would end up having to have knee replacement by the time I graduated. And it was just a matter of time before my knees had finally given out. After he told me that, I knew that I was not going to be able to play anymore. And so I started to wonder, well, what's going to happen to me? Um, I love this school. I met my wife here. This is my home now. The people here are fantastic. What am I going to do? Because I would not be able to afford to stay here. I would have to transfer back to a community college back home in Kansas. And so thinking about that, I started reaching out to my coaches. I started reaching out to financial aid. Uh, people here on campus and anyone that I could to try and figure out, well, how can I stay here? Um, We'll add on to the anxiety of the situation. It turned out where my coaches here at Campbell uh, were ending up not coming back here. And I figured that if anyone was going to be able to help me stay here on scholarship or stay here with any type of finance, it would be them. But unfortunately, they had left. We had brought some new coaches in. And so um, we had gotten a text uh, one day. And prior to that, you know, I spent many nights praying, uh, just asking God, you know, what am I, what am, what am I purpose? What am I supposed to do here? And so we get a text one day, um, from Mr. Roller, who's athletic director saying that we need to come meet the new coaches. And so I figure, well, I'll just talk to Mr. Roller and ask him flat out what's going to happen to me as far as my scholarship and everything that ties in with that. And so we went to the meeting, we met the new coaches and coach McGeehan and after the meeting was over, I built the courage up just to go up to Mr. Roller and just ask him, Mr. Roller, you know my situation. Um, what's going to happen to me? 
And I, I went up to Mr. Roller after the meeting was, and I was already kind of nervous and anxious because I just didn't want, I still want, you know, I, I love Campbell. That's where I'm supposed to be. So I didn't want to hear anything different. And so I asked him, Mr. Roller, what's going to happen to me? And he looked at me and the first thing that he said was he smiled and he said, Trey, it's all taken care of. And when he said that, you know, what's going through my mind is it's too good to be true. What do you mean? It's all, it's all taken care of. Uh, he then said that, Trey, we know your character. Uh, we know your situation. We know that you didn't ask to have bad knees. We saw your work ethic and working through this. We need to keep character, high quality character guys like you on this campus. It's all taken care of. You're going to be paid for as if you were still playing for the team. Now you're just going to be with the team until you graduate. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, at that point, I had went into the bathroom and I started crying, uh, <laughs> tears of joy. You know, no, none of the guys saw me, so I was, so I kind of had my private moment. And then that's when I kind of realized, you know, um, God had used basketball as a tool to get me where He wanted me to be. Was at this moment in time at this university, uh, in order to further my education and go into ministry, and that's when I knew that. Okay, maybe I'm not supposed to play basketball for the rest of my life, but this is where I'm supposed to be right now at this moment. And going into ministry, getting my education at the Divinity School here was the was the plan that he revealed to me. And you you came here as a religion major, is that correct? I actually I actually came here as a sport coaching major. Okay. Um, and as time went on through the injuries, I started to start to prepare myself. You know, I might not be able to do this or stay with basketball. Um, I ended up switching to religion my sophomore year. Going that route, was that uh, a product of your childhood? Was it uh, was your family um, very spiritual? I mean, uh, mm -hmm. or was it was it something you discovered here? Mm -hmm. um, I actually did not grow up in a Christian home or a home that went to church. It was a gradual experience. Um, my mom actually credits me to bringing her uh, to Christ, if we want to talk in that language. Um, yeah. And um, my faith since then from high school has always been very important to me, um, living out the calling that God has placed in my life to be the man that he's called me to be. Um, and so ever since high school, I've always kept that with me and coming to Campbell. So, Trey, I work with the Divinity School around this time of year and uh, with their commissioning service, and I talk to a lot of their incoming students about how they answer their call, what that looked like. Um, all their stories are unique and powerful, just like yours. So how do you think the Divinity School is preparing you to reach your ultimate goal of serving others in the Lord's name? Well, the motto that the Divinity School always teaches us as ministers, young ministers, is being Christ-centered, Bible-based, and ministry-focused. My story, um, what the Divinity School help, helps me realize and what they're teaching me is God has given me many gifts. He's given me many talents. He's given me a platform. Um, and he's also given me a story. And what they're teaching me is how can I use what God has given me in many ways to build his kingdom, um, to spread his love in the world, because we know that the world needs his love more than ever now. And um, if I could say, wrap up what they are teaching me, it would be that, um, using all that God has given me to build his kingdom. Well, we're so glad that you uh, that you came here to tell your story. Um, I heard you speak at the first uh, evening with Jay Bradley Creed event in uh, in Lillington a few weeks ago, and loved it. And so we had to have you on. So, uh, good luck moving forward, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. All right.
And now we're at the part of the show where we talk about what's on our mind. So, Billy, what's on your mind? Let me take you down. glad you asked, Leah, because I have a lot on my mind right now. But, you always uh, do. <laughs> one thing in particular, uh, and actually I wrote about this in uh, this upcoming edition of Campbell Magazine, which actually should be in your mailboxes by now. And if you turn to the very back of the magazine, you'll see uh, my, my quarterly column called From the Editor. And this time I mixed together two things that... Um, that I kind of have a recent passion for. The first one is digging into Campbell University history. As you may know, Leah, I am a, I'm a history buff here, and I, I try to find out thing, old stories that maybe not a lot of people know about. Like that camel story? <laughs> like, like the origin of the camel story. But the other thing, um, and this is something that I developed a passion for in my adulthood, and that was the Beatles. And I was never a huge music guy growing up. I, I liked bands and I liked certain genres of music and I was into rock and and things like that. But when I got into college is when I really became a fan of the Beatles. And it was after borrowing a few of my dad's CDs and uh, just kind of putting them in my car on the way to and from campus. And uh, finally, as a 18 or 19 year old, understood what the fuss was about and why the Beatles were so great. And uh, before I go, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, Leah, your your Beatles knowledge would be? I would say about an 8. I've loved the Beatles. Okay, wow. All right. But I'm embarrassed to admit this. I did not realize they sang Twist and Shout until I started looking at songs for our, our wedding reception that's upcoming. Um, I know all the songs from the Beatles, but I did not know they sang Twist and Shout. I was ashamed. <laughs> well, that's from their early days, and uh, I probably I probably still have a long way to go on learning early day Beatles stuff. But uh, uh, So th the reason this all ties in is because this is the 50th anniversary of um, the Beatles' most famous album, and the one that's at the top of everybody's best albums list, and that's uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Um, it's also the same year they came out with the Magical Mystery Tour. And so one day I'm sitting in my office and I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, uh, how do I tie the Beatles into Campbell University? So I went back to old Creek Pebbles, um, and that's the former student paper here. I went back to old Creek Pebbles articles from 1967 to see if anybody back then was writing about the Beatles. And I came across a guy named Mike Ferguson who was kind of the entertainment writer for the Creek Pebbles back then. And you got to imagine Campbell University back in 1967, if I can set a scene real quick. Um, it was the first year for uh, the presidency of Norman A. Wiggins. And Norman A. Wiggins was a... Um, and I'm, I'm going to try to say this nicely because <laughs> I mean it very nicely, but he was a very, very conservative, straightforward don't toe the line type of guy, or no, I guess toe the line type of guy. And 1967 on all other college campuses around the country was a very hostile time. Um, a lot of protests on the Vietnam War, a lot of protests on civil rights. But at Campbell, you didn't see a lot of that here because um, Norman A. Wiggins, he, I don't think he suppressed First Amendment rights to free speech or anything, but he kind of, he had a quote from one of the papers that basically said, you're here to learn. Let's stick to that. And so you didn't see a lot of that, Campbell. But going back to the Creek Pebbles, Mike Ferguson 
at a time at Campbell where everything was very uncounterculture, he was a representative of everything that was going on over in the West Coast in San Francisco. And his articles were, were, I mean, for a college student, for a young journalist, they were outstanding. And I loved reading his thoughts on music at the time. And, and uh, you know, this was around the time of Woodstock and this was uh, at the Beatles' heyday. And he wrote a lot about the Beatles. And so um, being a history nerd and a Beatles nerd, I lost myself in his writing. And so what I'm trying to get at in all this was, and this is what I say in the column, is I pride myself as somebody who who likes to do research and can find the people I need to find. And Leah, you probably guess where this is going. I could not find Michael Ferguson. Really? I couldn't. I was about to ask, where is he now? <laughs> I have no idea. Not only do I not have any idea, um, I can't find obituaries on him. I asked our alumni office if he exists, and um, they have a graduation year for him, but they don't have anything beyond that. Uh, I want to find this guy now, and almost as much as me trying to find out why we're the camels, I want to find Michael Ferguson because I want to talk to him about what it was like to write about the music scene during this amazing era of music. And what's funny is I did find a Michael Ferguson who is a music writer in England, and I reached out to him, and I never heard back from him, but then I started doing the math on his age and kind of finding out his bio, and I'm almost I'm 99% sure it's a different Michael Ferguson. But if anybody, if any alumni from that era um, happen to listen to this, if if anybody can help me out or I know who I'm talking about, I would love your help on this because I would love to to just have this guy for like an hour in a room and talk about what it was like to write about the Beatles when the Beatles were coming out with new albums. And his stuff is great, and I recommend anybody um, who has access to the internet, which I am guessing is everybody, go to the Campbell University Library website, go to our archives, and search his name. And um, the writing is really mature for a college-level writer. And uh, um, help me. Help me find this guy. I, I would greatly appreciate it. So what you're saying is you're just trying to get by with a little help from your Campbell friends? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm witty, what can I say? What would you think if I sang out a tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ear. Rhymes with Orange is a product of Campbell University's Office of Communications and Marketing. Vice President for Advancement is Dr. Rick Davis. And Assistant Vice President for Communications and Marketing is Haven Hoddle. Rhymes with Orange is co-produced by Sarah Harden, Director of Marketing. Director of Visual Identity is Jonathan Bronsink. And Director of Web Design is Nikki Zawal. Your hosts are Leah Witt, that's me, and Billy Liggett. And that's me. And uh, before I end this here, I, I would like to say that uh, I subscribed to Rhymes of the Orange on iTunes. I have uh, recently downloaded the podcast app for an iPhone and um, decided to surprise my kids <laughs> on a short trip this weekend. I played Rhymes of the Orange and my, my daughter in the back seat said, hey... He sounds just like my dad. And so we were laughing about it. And then me mentioned Campbell University. And so my daughter in the backseat, who's seven, says, Hey, he's talking about Campbell, too. So we all got a big laugh out of that. And uh, um, I hope you did, too. Uh, so if you do find us on iTunes, uh, you could please subscribe to us and uh, rate us. Um, tell us what you think. Give us feedback. We'd like to know 
um, who's listening and what you would like to see on Rhymes with Orange. Uh, come back next Wednesday for more compelling interviews with the people who make Campbell University what it is. And we'll see you next Wednesday. Until then, go Camels. Go team.